as that hymn says, we trust his grace. Amen. That's just good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, speaking of grace, tonight we'll be in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. And um, a familiar passage of scripture, a familiar passage of scripture where perhaps more speculation <laughs> has occurred around this passage of scripture than, I don't know, maybe most of the other parts of scripture that we love to speculate. Uh, but the passage is clear in its teaching uh, to you and I uh, tonight. So we want to we wanna visit Paul with his remarks of his, the thorn, his thorn in the flesh. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Did I say 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians? 2, okay. 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, let's stand our feet tonight, and we're going to pick it up there in verse, uh, in verse 7, and we'll read there through verse 10. Paul says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, thank you for your blessed word tonight. God, teach us, encourage us, and Lord, may we encourage others uh, from your words tonight. Thank you again for the privilege of the day to be able to assemble together. Lord, we are grateful for that. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world that, Lord, are meeting uh, today despite um, the circumstances, the threats, uh, Lord, the distance. Uh, Lord, their meeting is something we do as your people on the first day, on the Lord's day. God, we come together to worship you. Thank you for that privilege. And God, may you be exalted tonight in the word. Help me to be faithful to it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, uh, as we think of the, the thorn in the flesh through the years, I've heard many people say a number of things about that and, and what it might be. And the reality is nobody really knows uh, for sure other than uh, Paul said that it was a thorn. And and if you, uh, if you think about uh, just thorn in general, um, I don't know anything that's associated with that that's a good thing. <laughs> um, we, we understand, as a matter of fact, when the Lord, uh, way back in Genesis, talked about the curse, he mentions that part of that curse is thorns. Uh, so um, I think he had the Cherokee Rose in mind when he uh, wrote that uh, uh, this is uh, the Georgia flower for some reason. I, I don't know exactly why because it's more thorn than flower. But anyway, uh, we understand thorns uh, make an impression, don't they? <laughs> Boy, I tell you, i got to stop. But anyway, it's the idea of something getting under your skin causing discomfort. Uh, the idea if you've ever had a, 
a splinter of something that was uh, deep in your skin and man it would just fester and it would bother you no matter how small it might have been it caused some level of discomfort and Paul gives us the sense that that this whatever it was it was something that he was mindful of he knew about it and it bothered him and I think if we're honest uh, there have been things I think thorns sometimes come and go in our lives but nevertheless we experience them don't we and of course when Paul mentions this he may have been thinking it may have been in terms of a uh, figurative uh, in the sense of what he was talking about. It might have been something very personal. Uh, it may have been something physical. Uh, there were a number of things in, in, in Paul's in prisons and, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, stoned at one point to uh, almost death. Uh, there are a number of physical issues that Paul may very well have had. He mentions on occasion that, he has the right very large. Uh, so there's certainly physical things in his life that he could have referred to. He also may have been referring to the, the deep concern in his heart that he was once one who persecuted the church, that there were people that had lost their lives and families as a result of his zealous uh, works for the wrong things. And we know in our culture uh, today, uh, mental illness and guilt and shame and things of that nature uh, can really debilitate a person. It is something that uh, no matter how, uh, quote, good a life you have, these are things that can, can really set you back and it can cause a, a great level of discomfort. And then we know when we look in Scripture, there are many that have gone before us and certainly through church history that have paid the ultimate price for their faith. Um, and so we understand that uh, as Paul mentions this, that there is real torment in the life of people who seek to honor the Lord and follow Christ. Um, we, we think about Job. We think of all the, the trials and the, and the issues uh, that he talks about in that book that's named after him. Uh, just the boils on his skin. I, you know, when I think about that, I oftentimes think it might be some type of skin cancer or something like that that he suffered from. The, loft, the, the, the loss of his family, the, the mental anguish that that must have been. We think about Jeremiah as he was known as the weeping prophet, someone that was overwhelmed, if you will, by what he talked about was his own inadequacies. Uh, Peter sometimes had a bad temper. Um, Paul did too, as a matter of fact. But we think about uh, uh, people uh, that we are kind of familiar with almost from Sunday to Sunday. People like Fanny Crosby who wrote beautiful hymns and yet she was blind. And, and, and the purpose of her blindness was, was not anything she did. It was just uh, a quack doctor that um, was, uh, you know, har harmed her in, in respect to that. Uh, I think a, a, a Johnny Erickson Tata and uh, this woman of, of, the, of the faith that she has and how many people she has blessed through her writings and so forth. Uh, and, you know, she's a quadriplegic she she can't do the things that that we take for granted uh, so often so when we think about thorns that are in our life we stand certainly in a great company of people not only in the Bible but in history it is something and Paul mentions you know he says in addition to this being a, a thorn he says that it is a messenger of Satan in other words it's 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 something that the devil would, would remind him of. It, it's something that, that he would deal with on uh, you know, probably a daily basis. He would be very mindful of this. 
And, uh, you know, in our own lives, whatever uh, thorns that we deal with, we understand that, that these are real things. And these are things that can cause us to stumble in our Christian walk. But if nothing else, they weigh us down. There's, there's something that's there all the time. Now, Paul said it, it was used to humble him. It was, it was used to help him uh, push his emphasis somewhere else. And that is where the message is. Because the reality is you don't have to look far to find out or find people that are probably worse off than where you're at right now. I mean, regard, that's not to take away from our trial or our suffering or anything like that. But, but you, you can look around and you can find people that are suffering worse than, than you are maybe. And so uh, it's a perspective. So we understand that Paul lays this out. Now, in, in our culture today, we kind of have folks that like to tell people that if you just do everything right, you're not going to deal with these things. I don't know, but I kind of thought, thought Paul kind of did some things right. You know, just uh, looking at his life and the things that he wrote and the impact that he's had for, you know, quite a while now. Uh, I think he did some things right, but yet uh, he suffered. He lost his head for the gospel, uh, as, as the other disciples uh, would as well, uh, with the exception of, of John in that respect. But throughout history, we see this, that there have been many people who have honored God with a life well lived for Christ that did not exempt them from suffering. And you know that, I know that. And, and you've experienced suffering, and we will experience suffering. We will experience tribulation in this world, but the Lord tells us that we can be of good cheer. Now, why? Now, if we understand there are thorns, and there's going to be thorns in our life, how is it then that we deal with them? How is it that we deal with that? Because Paul says, I've got a real problem here, but Paul's going to tell us how to deal with this. So how is it? Well, you can, you can do what the world says, and that is you can just refuse to admit that you have a problem. That seems to be popular today. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, in our culture today, um, this is one of the reasons why repentance is so hard. Because we live in a world where everybody wants to push blame to either something or someone. You know, uh, everybody wants to be the victim. And if, and if they did something wrong or if they're caught outright doing something wrong, it's not their fault, it's because of something someone else uh, did. And we, we see that play out in our culture all the time. It's somebody else's fault, the reason that, you know, they are the way they are, they've done what they've uh, done, and they are, you know, where they are, and so forth. It's always somebody else's fault. And, and in a world with that mindset, it is, it's, it's hard to have repentant hearts. Because repentance is owning your own sin. Repentance is, is, is owning all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly, it's all filthy rags before God. That is not a popular concept in our world today. We want to cast blame so that we can be a victim. And, uh, of course, though all of that runs counter uh, to the gospel, to the message of Christ, because that's what the world does. The world sets up a fake, a phony, a fraud, a counterfeit. And God's counter, God's counter to that counterfeit being the truth is that God calls us to repentance, to own our own sin, to acknowledge that, but to realize that that payment has been made completely 
in full on our behalf. And so we don't have to live like victims. We can live victorious through the power of Jesus Christ. That is so much of a better way. Victory, not victimhood. So we can refuse to admit it. And people, if they say, well, I don't have a problem, they may try to hide that problem through uh, drugs, through drinking, uh, or through pleasure. I'll just go to enough places, I'll do what I want to do, I'll, have enough, I'll occupy my life so much that I don't have time to think about uh, my issues. But you can't escape that. You never do. So in dealing with those things, we can refuse to admit it, or we can deal with it the way Paul dealt with his thorn. What did he do? Well, he did something that every Christian ought to do as a first response to anything. He prayed. Prayer should always be our first response and not our last resort. <laughs> Too often it is the latter, isn't it? Uh, I just remember stories uh, we get to the point where, well, it's come to this. Yes, it's come to that. It's always been that. Prayer should be our first response. Listen, believing the word and living a faithful life, folks, that, that is, people say, well, that's all I can do. That's everything. That is everything. Uh, when, when a few weeks, when we get into those, the historical aspect of those churches, you're going to notice one thing overwhelming every single age. And that is what brought the church forward was the church, not the government. The, the, the change in the culture that, that brought people to Christ, that came through the church. And that's the only way it'll still happen today is through the church. It won't come from other ways. There's no revival coming out of Washington. There's no revival coming out of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm there every day. Trust me. Trust me. That's not where our hope's at, right? There's no legislate, legislative cure to our issues. The church always led the way. And if there's going to be revival and if there's going to be repentance in America, it'll be led by the church. There is no other way. Not a pair of church. The church. God's people doing just what we talked about Living faithful, being all in. That's the only thing we can do. That's everything that you can do. Man, that's almost a sermon in itself. But anyway, Paul prayed about it. He admitted his problem. He pleaded with the Lord. We looked there in verse 8 and he said, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord. Pleading is much more than just asking, isn't it? I mean, pleading and begging, those are kind of the same thing. Begging the Lord, take this from me. Begging the Lord, take this from me. And what was God's response? His response was, no, I will not take it from you. God answers prayer. But he's not always going to answer it the way we want him to. And that's good. That's good. Because God knows what we don't know. And, and I, I heard Tony Evans describe, uh, gave an illustration of this passage of this thorn. And, of course, nobody can give an illustration like Tony Evans. I mean, it's, it's, it's just him. But he talked about, you know, 
if you if you give blood or if you're in the hospital and here comes the nurse and she's fixing to start doing the the, the, the pricking, you know. I mean, I'm amazed at how much blood has to be drawn to, to just do some simple tests. But nevertheless, they come in there and boy, they, they like to stick you. And then they're going to put you on the IV, at, you know, maybe at some point. And he, he said it this way. He said, you're sick, you go to the hospital and they tell you you've got some infection and you've got to have the most high-powered antibiotics that we have. And we're going to have to give them to you, you know, intravenously. And so here they come in there, and they've got this big old long needle. They're going to shove it in your arm and tape it there, and you're going to have to hold your hand a certain way, and it's not going to be pleasurable. It's going to hurt. But he says without the sting of the needle, without the prick of that needle and the uncomfortable nature of that, you cannot get that which will get you well. And he made this connection that thorns that come into our life. We ask God. That's our first response. Lord, take it away. And if God says no, why does he say no? Because somewhere in the midst of that discomfort is medicine. It is something good for you and for me. Paul said, God, take it away. He said no. But he said what? He said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. See, God doesn't always give us what we want. But he always gives us what we need. Isn't that great? That's good. I'm reminded here just a few pages uh, before uh, chapter 12 there in chapter 9. Uh, listen to this in verse 8. Talk about grace. Paul says, and God is able. Boy, that'll just preach right there, isn't it? God is able. God's never been unable. <laughs> God is able, he says, to make all grace. How much of it? All of it. He's able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. In other words, the kind of grace that God gives is a grace that will never run out. It is, a, it is a grace that is completely sufficient to whatever it is that God's called us to. It is completely sufficient as to, to meet the need in our life at that moment. Completely sufficient. And he leaves no stone unturned there. I mean, he talks about all grace being all sufficient in all things. That's pretty much everything, isn't it? I mean, all grace, all sufficient, all things that we may have an abundance for every good work. In other words, there, there is no shortage. No shortage. Whatever you come to the Lord with, as he told Paul, my grace is sufficient. It will sustain you. It is sufficient in your suffering. And praise God, it is sufficient in our sin, in our folly. Paul relied on the grace of God. And you and I, at the end of the day, when our prayers don't get answered the way we necessarily want them to be answered, we need to be reminded that God says, my grace will be sufficient. We can endure, we can persevere because... Of the grace of God. Now, he goes on and he says something else. Not only did Paul rely on the grace of God, he prayed. That was his first response. 
He pleaded with God on three different occasions. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to remove it, but I'm going to give you the grace. So Paul prayed about it. He relied on the grace of God. But, but Paul did something else. He glorified God for this thorn. Now, I'll tell you. And that's one thing to, to ask, and it's one thing to accept, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this, and I'm going to lean on the power of God's grace. Man, it's all together something different when now you glorify God for that, for that infirmity, for that thorn. Folks, that's, that's a different level here. Paul said, therefore, most gladly. Well, you're talking about uh, um, your motivation and your attitude, your perspective. Paul says that he'll gladly, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And, and understand, Paul had... He's, he's experiencing these things. Imprisoned, beaten, run out of town, shipwrecked, floating around in the ocean, bit by snakes. I mean, experienced a great number of, of physical infirmities. He says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and needs, and persecutions, and distress. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes we suffer today because we're too concerned about who gets the credit sometimes. And I want to tell you, when it comes to God's work and God's kingdom, it's all God. It's him. He may, he may use you. He may use me, certainly. But at the end of the day, it's God. Uh, this, this, as I said this morning, you, we, we cannot do the work of God uh, apart from the power of God. We just can't do it. We can't be disconnected from God without the power of prayer. And Paul gloried in this thorn. He came to the place in his life that he began to thank God for it. Well, that's, that's easier said than done. Way easier said than done. And yet he writes these things. In Ephesians, he spoke of giving thanks always for all things. He mentions that again in, in uh, Thessalonians. Glorying in my infirmity so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That the glory of God might rest on him. The very personal presence of God. So that Paul could say that in my weakness, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. When, when we think of things that God has accomplished, look, look who God has chosen through the ages. He has chosen sometimes very affluent people, gifted people, Bright people, educated people, no doubt. But he's also chosen 
people that by the world standard were dumb. That they didn't get it. I mean, the, the, you know, listen, the proof that, you know, John and Peter were who they said they were, the guys just said it's obvious they've been with Jesus. Hadn't been to our schools. They didn't graduate from, you know, rabbinical school under so-and-so. But it's obvious that they've been with Jesus. It needs to be obvious that we've been with Jesus too. And that we learn, as, as Paul learned, that God's not always going to take it away. And he doesn't have to for us to be victorious in Christ. Paul said, I'll glory in that thorn. He mentions that elsewhere too. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Of course, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wrote of these things often. That he might know the power of God. In chapter uh, three of Philippians. He says in verse eight, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. You, you know, when you, when you read what Paul wrote, he's consistent with that theme. That's not about me. It's about the power of Christ in me and the power of Christ on me. That, that hasn't changed, and that never will change. God will use those who are available. He will. Because God equips everyone that he calls. And if God has called us to it, he'll see that we get through it, and he will empower us by his grace and meet whatever need. We have. Now he said that. So if God said it, then it must be true. Amen. And we're to live that by faith. I found an interesting story, and I had never heard this hymn, but it's uh, written by a man by the name of George uh, Matheson. And he had a he would come to have a physical handicap. He would he would become blind. And on the eve of his sister's marriage, something happened that just broke his heart. And again, 
you know, he never said, but some speculated that uh, the doctors had told him that he would soon be blind. And the uh, woman that he was engaged with uh, refused to marry him because he would be uh, blind. Uh, so he could have wrote a good country western song, is what I'm saying. I mean, it would have been a top 40, buddy. Uh, right there with Johnny Lee looking for love in all the wrong places. I mean, it would have been there. Uh, but, uh, and, and if you played it backwards, you got Rhinestone Cowboy by Glenn Campbell. But anyway, getting offers over the phone. But anyway, uh, I digress. But he wrote a hymn, and it was called, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. I have never, never sung that. They send a Baptist hymnal, but I've never sung that song. But, but this is the first stanza to that song. He says, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Now he said of this hymn, he said that it was through that experience of his broken heart and the thorn in his flesh that he wrote that, and years later, he said this, I have lived to thank God for my thorn. I've never sung that. But I'm going to tell you, the words to that hymn are beautiful. It is a blessing. It is a reminder that God sustains us and he lavishly gives us whatever we need. Why? Because he's our dad. He's our father. He supplies and his supply will never run out. Amen. And I pray that uh, through this week, uh, perhaps you uh, will run into those who are downtrodden. Their countenance is weary. And uh, they don't have a lot of hope, maybe. And I pray that God would encourage you to encourage them that we know where hope is. And we know the source of that hope and grace and that it don't, we don't have to lack for that. We can ask in faith. And he said, I'll supply it. I'll give it. I pray that it might encourage you and that we might encourage others that they might come to saving faith in Jesus. Will you bow your heart in prayer with me tonight? Father, thank you for your love and your mercy to us. Thank you for your promises, and God, thank you that you, that you work in us, Lord, uh, despite us. <laughs> Lord, where we fall short, God, you never fall. Thank you. Lord, I pray. Lord, that grace and that love that you have for us would so grip our hearts. God, we'd serve you passionately zealously, Lord, until your faithful return. We love you and we need you. Bless us as we close this service tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.